Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 157 of Getting It Out Podcast. That was Born of Plagues from Baltimore, Maryland. The song was called Feeding Fear, and I have zero information to give you other than that. I don't know a whole lot about this band, which is interesting because I do know the guys in the band. In fact, one of the guys, Tim, the bass player, uh, played bass in my band, Pleasant Living, which um, I can tell you already that Born of Plagues is better than Pleasant Living ever was. Uh, that's the first time I really dove deep into one of their tracks. Um, by that, I mean listen to the whole thing. And it was way better than I ever anticipated. And I know that sounds like a slight at them, but it's not. Um, I just didn't know what they were doing was this cool. And I'm glad I listened to it. And I'm glad to be able to share it with you now. So um, if you like that sort of thing, you're going to like the rest of this episode. But you should also... Uh, check out Born of Plagues whenever they're releasing this music on whichever album uh, in whatever year. Who knows? I just I was told it'd be in the next few months. We don't know what that means, um, but uh, you can speculate. I can speculate. It's a secret until then. But check out Born of Plagues wherever you can check them out. I don't know. I'll put something in the show notes. Maybe you can find them somewhere. Uh, but until then, stick around for the rest of this episode because I have Grant from In the Company of Serpents, who are great doom metal band we'll, we'll call them doom metal band we'll simplify it and call them a doom metal band out of denver and uh they put out a lot of cool releases the most impressive was their latest it's called lux it came in at number 33 in decibels top 40 records of the year we're going to talk about that record that ranking and all sorts of other stuff this guy is so much smarter than me um and uh that's that's what you're in for on this episode so let's do the quick version of the hot zone uh intro and then get into the podcast <laughs> Hey, so here we are at the fourth episode of the year, which seems... Uh, kind of unbelievable because it's only the third week of the year. So you you got to do some math to figure that out. You know what? I'll give you the answer. The first episode was on the very first day of the year. January 1st was a Friday. These episodes come out on a Friday. So, you know, 1st, 8th, 15th, 22nd. Those are four Fridays. That's four episodes. Four episodes so far into 2021. That's the year we're in. We also had a presidential inauguration this week. That uh, went off kind of without incident, which is slightly disappointing. I think, uh, you know, I, I for the first time that I can remember, paid attention to it um, a little bit. You know, I was working at the same time, too. So I was just checking in on it here and there. And uh, interesting, but also uh, super boring because it's politics and uh, it's old people, old white people, mostly old white people. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're boring. They're a boring type. Uh, but yeah, but we got we got new stuff happening. Uh, coronavirus is still happening. Uh, most importantly, I need LeBron James to get seven more rebounds tonight because I've now turned into an internet gambler. Uh, what does that mean exactly? That means that I am susceptible to ads, and these ad agencies seem to know this. They're, they've 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 got my information. They're all into me. They know they just got to advertise that. I can win $50 if Joel Embiid scores one point. And I'm like, all right, Joel Embiid's going to score 35 points, so I'm going to take that bet, and then I take that bet. And then I win the $50, but the trick is, 
the $50 is in free bets. So then they got me on their stupid website. So then I got to make back my $10 minimum deposit, which I've been able to do every time so far. So it's not a problem. And then I then I take back the money that I've initially invested, right? So there's no there's no loss here. But then I get then I start betting on a Mongolian basketball and a Russian tennis, uh, Korean table tennis, all sorts of fun things that are available. And <laughs> and I bet like pennies and dollars on them, and uh, and I get like uh, 32 cents, and I get pretty stoked. And then I decide I'm up to 20. I'm gonna put 20 dollars on a LeBron James double double. That's rebounds and points. Uh, just 10 of each will do. And uh, he's not doing it currently. And I could win like $38, LeBron, and uh, that would that would make me a huge winner. And currently, I'm just losing the $20 that I never really had to begin with. So that's my life right now, and that's that's uh, that's my biggest concern. And that's a good thing because if it were worse than that, uh, if I had real things to complain about, then that would that would not that would not be so great, I guess. But I need to move on because you guys surely do not give a fuck about that. And I don't blame you. Thanks for listening to me talk about it. This episode, as I mentioned, features an interview with Grant Netzorg of In the Company of Serpents. Now, I don't know if that's how you really say his last name, but I hope it is. Because if it is, it is uh, absolutely the greatest last name I've ever heard in my life. So uh, if Grant, your last name really is, is Netzorg, uh, then I salute you, man. That's, the, that's, the, that's, that's incredible. That's so cool. Uh, that's more impressive than the band, really. It's just that last name. I read it in print every now and then. I saw it in the, the last issue of Decibel Magazine, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, and I, sometimes I can't believe it. But, I, but I'm but i kind of inspired by it, too. I wish I could change my last name, change my whole family's last name to something way cooler. But uh, realistically, I can't do that. So uh, let's listen to Scales of Mott by In the Company of Serpents. This song also features Ethan Lee McCarthy and Ben Hutcherson uh, from Primitive Man and Chemist, respectively, who have each been past guests of Getting It Out podcast. So it's all coming full circle. It's all making sense. Grant, Ethan, Ben, all in one track, all past guests of uh, Getting It Out podcast. Let's start with this song and then listen to my conversation with Mr. Grant Netzorg.
from I'm doing this from my seven year old daughter's room. So I'm currently surrounded by uni- oh, yeah. unicorns and uh, what is? Well, there's just a lot of unicorns basically. This is good. Well, that's a good way to do uh, it. That's a good choice. If you're going to pick like one mythic animal, I would do like that or Bigfoot. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can convince her to go for Bigfoot, but you know, this will have to do it. There's a fucking uh, there's a, a a pretty great Bigfoot museum, um, and like outside of like an hour outside of Denver in, in a little town called Bailey, Colorado, in the mountains, and uh, we took my daughter to it, and she's like, she'll be three in February, and she was just like wigging out, just like whoa, that you see that it's big and like you know like like pointing out all of this so like she definitely has a few bigfoot toys under the tree but we have plenty of unicorns too though so, so no 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 uh worries that's funny <laughs> you know it's funny when uh so like my my daughter when she was when she was about that age she was really like un uh unaffected unscathed like not concerned with anything that was scary you know or most people yeah. would consider scary now she is though now it's like like we tried to watch ghostbusters recently and it was too much for her there's like, some gnarly shit in that. that like that that fucking that apparition in the library in the beginning that's like all skeletal and fucked up and yeah like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no no it was yeah. a it was a bad move like <laughs> you know but but <laughs> but i was going off of like back when when her and i was she used to love watching the video for thriller for michael jackson Oh, and like, totally. and she used to love that, and I was like, I can't believe she's not terrified of this, you know. And I don't know, maybe if she would watch Thriller now, she'd be terrified. But I'm not trying to. <laughs> it's just weird. It's weird how it goes away and it comes back, and yeah. So I can I can totally relate. So my my daughter's favorite, like, so I I try and like make make up characters and do voices yeah. for like her favorite toys and shit. Um, but like last Halloween, not this year, but the year prior, um, we did like. Uh, 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 Big Bad Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood thing, yeah. and like the wolf mask I have is fucking burly. Like it's scary. Like it is, like, it is legitimately intimidating, and um, <laughs> she is just unperturbed by it. And it's like a friend of hers that she like calls up. She'll be like, "Hey, Dad, where's Wolf?" <laughs> and like I'll have to go find this fucking mask. And like even now it's, it's like Christmas time. I'm in like fucking holiday sweaters and like. <laughs> Running around the house in a fucking wolf mask, <laughs> doing the wolf voice for her, like, oh, oh, all right, do it, do go play. Yeah. Like, it's it's ridiculous, but yeah, I can relate. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I mean, I I don't know how you feel about leaving that stuff in, but I got no problem with leaving it in. So <laughs> you tell you tell me. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, if you if you think it makes good good air, then whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I like to I like to keep it uh, as light as possible before we talk serious oh, like, music business. Oh, right. Yeah, too close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but anyway, like like uh, like we talked about here at the beginning uh, and. Uh, and like I guess I don't know. Well, you, we know why you're both here. Um, in the company of serpents is this band that you've been doing for how many years now? Uh, it'll be ten years in January. Ten years already. Okay, I remember coming across you guys. I feel like it. I, I feel like it, it might have been a promo thing. It might have been something that came to my email. Were, were you doing that stuff like with uh, Merging of Light back then? Yeah, that that was probably the first record that we did a proper like PR cycle thing or like I mean, so we it's not like like we we haven't been on a label for any of this shit, so it's just been like me reaching out to people and trying yeah. to, trying to like piece together how this business kind of operates. 
Um, and like in true DIY fashion, like just like basically learning from my own mistakes instead of like availing myself of the opinions of experts. Yeah. But um, yeah, like like uh, Merging in Light, I think was the first record that we we did any like proper PR on, it, with the exception of maybe like we did a single um, right around then. That actually, you know what, that single would have been after then. So yeah, I think Merging in Light um, would have been the first one that we did any of this on. Okay, yeah, that's and like I said, that's the that's where I became aware of you guys, and from there I've been a fan, and uh, I kind I feel like I kind of lost track with you, but also at the same time, now that I look at it, you put out I would say a lot of material over the last few years. I mean, it's a decent amount of records. Yeah, I mean, we've like so I always feel like that we're like under prolific um, in terms of like our output, like or that we could be more prolific. Yeah, and when. Cause like, so, so it, you know, when you're, when you're immersed in something, it doesn't become as, um, as glaringly obvious that you have actually put something out in pretty short periods of time. Yeah, um, yeah. but like, as soon as we finished our last record in off our, um, we basically were already writing material that would b- become central to, um, parts of, of, of this latest record Lux. So like, it's, like there are rifts in here that are that are three and four years old. However, they didn't really kind of coalesce into their uh, fully crystallized vision. Um, I would say until the last year um, it, that um, we had a, a number of, of lineup shifts um, in terms of like just like like what would be like the final iterations of these songs. They didn't really like fully come to form until this past year or so. I got you. But, what? Yeah, like I've been I've been working on them for like when, when it's still a riff that you like straight up wrote the bones of like four years ago. You're like, yeah, it doesn't seem like I'm churning these out very prolific. Really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I hear you. But like, I, I got to say, the from the from your last record to to Lux, I did. I felt like it, they they were released like in the same year. But then, of course, I look at it; it's like a three year gap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like. To me, they feel like a continuation of like similar musical ideas, albeit like I'd say that I more fully express them on Lux. Um, but like, there's a lot of similar qualities in that. Like, there's sort of like plays on, um, I guess, esoteric um, philosophizing on on like what light means from an occult perspective, or from just sort of a, um, I guess. Um, like like looking at at light through the lens of various Western esoteric traditions, the last record was called Ein Sof Hour, which in um, in the Kabbalistic uh, Hebrew, which that is transliterated from, could roughly be described as limitless light. So that last record was called Limitless Light, and then this record basically called Light. Um, so to me, thematically, there's there's some continuity between them. Um, but like yeah, like also like playing around with this sort of like almost like any Omar Kone um, Western soundtrack aesthetic is something that I've kind of been playing around with since basically our second record, which if, if my memory serves me and it often doesn't uh, came out in like 2013. So for me, it kind of seems like a blur of things, but then like just getting better and better at articulating the ideas that I've been kind of grasping at. And was, was that something that um, has evolved with, with the band or is that something you set out to do it's definitely evolved kind of with the band like like initially and this is like pretty evident with our self-titled like first um lp that we did 
um, like initially I was just trying to do just like pretty like straightforward doom yeah. um, and be as heavy as I could. And like, you know, I, I was also like 24, um, 25 when we started the band and, um, you know, like, like a younger at that time to me, that's younger. I'm sure like for most metalheads that like are actively, well, I, I don't know. Metalheads actually span a pretty good wide, uh, yeah, we stick, ages. we stick around um, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, in a, we're fucking lifers. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, um, but like, yeah, like, like, um, I was 25 when we wrote our first few albums, 25, 26, 27, you know? And, um, at that time it was way more important to me to just write the heaviest, sludgiest, um, most punishing thing possible. And, you know, I, there was almost like a, uh, nervousness to really go for the more eerie atmospheric and spare or acoustic, um, or just basically like, not just like, like, like all out heavy parts, um, that I think have, have given our later work a lot more nuance. Um, you know, as I've kind of grown as a songwriter, I've become less afraid of like playing with this stuff. And, you know, I look back at that, those sort of attitudes where I'm like, I like this kind of music, but I can't put it in serpents because we're not that kind of band was like, <laughs> you know, it just wasn't true. Cause the, like there's threads of that shit going back to our second record uh, of the flock, which has several sort of, um, acoustic, an eerie, um, um, like, uh, there's intros and interludes, um, that are, that are on that. Um, and that, that like the, me playing around with the lap steel guitar and using that to create eerie drones starts on that record, which, you know, is seven plus years old at this point. So, um, it's not as though that's, um, that was the vision when we started out. Um, but it's taken me a lot longer and a lot more um, just experience to, I think, get better at articulating um, some of these different sonic landscapes and, um, you know, incorporating them in a way that is not, um, you know, um, out of balance with the sheer heavy uh, uh, parts or the parts when I just want to, like, basically write the dirgiest, um, you know, like mournful um sort of like borderline drone doom riff um that i can muster you know i still want those things to to juxtapose kindly with um the other eerie um more more shall we say subdued passages right and i think that's something that you uh that you do very well with lux um because you know there might be like the contra high contrast between that heavy and you know eerie or you know the lap steel parts but but you got you got the dynamic right where nothing nothing feels uh, I mean uh, nothing feels out of place it all feels very cohesive and um, I don't know it, it, it doesn't feel it feels realized you know like the cool. the the other you know it's like I don't know it's like for this record it kind of feels more felt more like oh this is the this is their identity like I yeah I know what you're saying I heard these things or these. Uh, uh, I don't want to say attempts because that sounds wrong, but um, uh, 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 you know, I heard the there's threads of it. There's, yeah, I've, I've heard it. In... A, there are common threads. Right, right. They just right. didn't make up too much of the broader tapestry on previous records. Right, and 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 <laughs> now that? it does, and it feels it feels very natural. And 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 from what I understand, uh, it or, or what I've noticed, it seems like everyone agrees, and this record went over pretty well because you put this out way back in May, which now seems like forever ago. And uh, I know f- just from from my seat, my perspective, I, well, I saw in the magazine you just landed number thirty three on Decibel's top forty, which 
I mean, might not be much to mo- most people, but I think that's like the only thing that's like the the most important ranking we have, right? For for me, um, that's definitely um, as far as like print media or any sort of like like journalism that's still around that like is is following the underground heavy scene. Like decimal decibel to me is is right, way up at the top. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like. It's the last print magazine that I still subscribe to. Same here. Um, you know, I used to get I used to get all of them when I was uh, uh, when I was younger, and you know, try and read about everything that was coming out, and just really kind of voraciously digest you know the broader uh, different corners of the underground metal scene. But like, um, you know, as far as print media and journalism is concerned, they're definitely uh, like kind of at the the paramount of that world for as far as. Um, how I consider them. So, so landing on that list, especially like next to some of the names that are on there, um, that we're alongside or in the company of, if you would, yeah. <laughs> um, like it's, it's certainly like something that I take as high praise and a, and a definite honor. Yeah. And I, and I, I have to agree with everything you said there. It's the, it's the only magazine I subscribe to and you know, and it's the only one I want to, I don't know. It's, it's, I've gone back and forth over the years and usually it's just, it was just, I'm too poor to, and now I don't have that problem anymore. So it's nice to get nice. this magazine every, <laughs> every month, you know, but, um, totally. so I've, I've, you know, since the record's been out for a while, since I've been aware of in the company of serpents for quite a few years, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up on some things, but I, I was reading about how this record, like you mentioned, the, what is it? Lux stands for light or means light in Latin is yeah. right. And, and I, I've, I've read that this is something of a tribute to your daughter. How, how, so can you explain that? Yeah. And, and yeah, can you just explain that? Yeah, for sure. And so like, like, forgive me if I get a little long winded here. That's uh, all right. Uh, the the joke that I, I constantly am having to kind of offer as a disclaimer to people when we get into these discussions of, you know, high strangeness or weird esoterica is that uh, well, I have two jokes about it that I'm, I've been lovingly described as long form and that also the train of thought can frequently derail. So yeah. <laughs> forgive me if I've been ranting here. No, go ahead. Um, but uh, basically, yeah, so... Um, on a broader level, um, it's an exploration of the esoteric sort of ex- uh, the ex- esoteric um, look at how light relates to just our manifest existence. So, if you look at all these different um, threads in the Western es- esoteric lineage, which even there, right, right there, just calling it strictly Western is a misnomer because all of these esoteric di- disciplines the world over have overlaps in ways that. I think if, if you talk to or if you read scholars of comparative religion, um, like a, a good one that I'd recommend is Jeffrey Kripal. Um, he's written a bunch of great books on the subject. But uh, when you look at this through the lens of comparative religion, a lot of these things in their hidden teachings um, are crossing similar territory, although uh, obviously each of these disciplines is articulating them in ways that are completely unique to their tradition. But um, whether if you're talking about, you know, alchemists, um, spiritual alchemists, uh, Kabbalists, um, hermeticists, um, you know, um, uh, all of these, the, the Gnostics, um, all of these different sort of like, like esoteric or hidden teachings um, from uh, these different uh, Western traditions have, have explored these ideas in similar ways. And one of the, the things that, that a lot of these have tried to articulate 
is some sort of fundamental root essence. Like if you were to distill down um, all of existence to like one shared commonality or one shared substance, um, a lot of these disciplines have described this as light. And again, this is metaphoric, um, and a lot smarter people than I have have uh, um, grappled with these ideas probably far more articulately and uh, learnedly than myself. But I liked the idea that like of like at its core everything is basically light and again uh disclaimer not a quantum physicist here but uh, evidently uh, there's some parallel here when you just look at all matter on on um uh, the the spectrum of of just visible and invisible light even the densest matter can be can comprised of what we might describe as particles of light so i think there is some overlay with this uh, somewhat more wizardly shit and uh, where uh, science is kind of reconvening with uh, the mystics. Um, but that's kind of a broader notion that we're playing with this whole sort of all is light um, sort of metaphor for like, what is like this fundamental root essence behind all of existence um, on a far more personal level. Um, uh, we, we um, coming up on three years ago, um, uh, welcomed our daughter into the world. And we, when we were looking for names uh, for her, we were pretty much um, fixated upon different things that were like in their etymology, different word or different um, names that were playing with, um, with, with light as sort of a quality within the name itself. And so um, the Latin lux is, um, you know, part of the root of my daughter Lucia's uh, name. Um, and so on a far more personal level, like this album to me, I've, I've sort of said it functions as a form of esoteric prayer, but on a far more mundane and personal level as it relates to my life and my experience, it's kind of a, a message of love to my now toddler daughter who was an infant when we began uh, writing most of this. Well, nice. And I, I, as uh, well, as we talked about being a parent of daughters, I particularly like that. Um, the, how did, how did you get in, into all this stuff? How, where, where did, where did this interest in all of this come from? Um, I guess, uh, you know, I've, I've always been, um, just from the time I was a kid, like interested in sort of stranger, uh, sort of phenomena and, and things like that. Like, I remember, like I was a kid that, um, from like the, the, the kids library was always checking out like the books on like the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot and all that stuff as a little boy. And, uh, so that, that sort of like fascination with the unknown has always been something that's kind of gripped me. Um, and as far as like the Western occult lineage is concerned and whether you're talking like ceremonial magic or like, you know, Victorian occultist, golden dawn, Crowley OTO type stuff, or more um, recent developments like chaos magic, um, et cetera. And we, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of just naming all these different traditions because there's really, really multitudes of them. They're like, yeah, there are a lot of different sects. Sure. Um, but um, for me, when I started to learn more about that stuff was just, um, I, I had begun developing um, just an interest in, in, I suppose uh, seeing what was sort of behind the exoteric teachings of the major Western Abrahamic faiths that you see, um, you know, in, in the 
churches, temples, and mosques uh, around the country because outwardly, you know, um, they weren't saying a lot of things that I thought made too much sense in their practices. And I I was kind of raised in, in a very mainstream sort of church environment where my parents had me going to Bible study at a place that I would say is not a far cry from like these mega church stadium ones that have like spend more money on like their video production than they do on like, like food donations in a given week than they do all year. You know, like um, I, I had begun to see some of that sort of outward hypocrisy that was at odds with, you know, what I had read um, in just, you know, your standard Bible, just by virtue of having just been sat there in church and been like, well, this sermon just seems to be um, bogus. What's, what's the book say? And cracking it open and finding like, you know, the book of Ezekiel and, and seeing like the vision of Ezekiel and, and like what um, like a lot of Kabbalists would describe as like the vision of the Merkaba or the Ophanim, which is, one of the biblical descriptions of angels, which is terrifying. Like biblical angels are legitimately scary. Um, and, or like, you know, the book of revelation and things like that. And really just kind of picking up on stuff like that and seeing that, you know, if you dug a little bit deeper, there perhaps was some more interesting stuff there. Um, that also began to kind of, uh, align with my interest in some of the ideas that I had come kind of across in, um, these different Western occult um, disciplines that um, really, despite like there, there may be um, somewhat spooky or often new agey um, trappings that turn a lot of people off, uh, you know, whether it's like edgelordy, like, like Church of Satan, like, like gothy attire, which I, I personally am quite fond of um, in my own personal form of dress. Um, <laughs> so not, not casting dispersions there. Um, but like, or, or like, you know, new agey, like all is light, like la-di-da type stuff. I know a lot of people get turned off by that, but what I saw at the core of it was a lot of, um, a lot of tools and practices that were meant uh, to galvanize oneself into achieving their higher potential and kind of eliminating bullshit from their lives and kind of undergoing a journey to force yourself um, to basically become uh, like the, the better you or the higher or idealized you that, um, that you're capable of being. So that's, that was an, like, that was definitely a attractive concept to me. And, you know, much to my chagrin, when I first started learning about this shit, um, it, it became readily apparent that like, Oh yeah, this takes a lot of work. Like you need to be meditating like three hours a day minimum and you need to be cleaning up your act in all these other ways. So initially I would say I wasn't very successful at pursuing these aims. Um, but you know, I've been exploring it for a little bit longer now. And while I've definitely got a long, long way to go, I'd say I've learned a lot more than uh, what maybe 25 year old Grant would have told you about the Western occult tradition 10 years ago. But, um, yeah, like it, I just find this stuff fascinating, and like the hidden teachings versus the exoteric public teachings uh, tend to be far more compelling to me, um, and seem to be um, speaking to a much more enchanted or enchanting uh, view of existence than this sort of like cold scientific materialist. Ah, we're all like just the circumstance of. We're, we're just the, the collision of atoms and millions of years of dumb luck, you know, not to say that like, I'm like anti, um, like 
atheist or anti-agnostic. I'm, I would say that I am firmly agnostic and that anybody who presumes to, to say that they out and out know anything is uh, acting with more than a wee bit of hubris uh, in their, uh, in their um, I guess, uh, sure-footedness of their perspective. But anyways, um, I've found a lot of re- really interesting insights and philosophical pursuits um, by just kind of going down this uh, somewhat uh, crazy rabbit hole. And is is was the band always meant to be? Um, I don't know, kind of part of your exploration and all this, or expression of it. Yeah, I would say so. Um, like, um, at at no point did I like set out to be like, oh, we're going to be in a cult metal band. You know, um, that was never my goal or um, aim. Um, but I, I very much have always incorporated, um, you know, what, whatever I'm exploring or going through personally in my, my writing. Mm-hmm. And so while on paper, unless I'm like kind of spelling out how it relates to me and what sort of um, language of metaphor I'm using from, you know, whether it's Kabbalistic uh, uh, different terms or, or, you know, what have you, um, like a lot of it, even though it might seem, you know, very bizarre and uh, arcane in its language um, when you're just looking at the lyrics on paper. Um, for me personally, it's all always been very intertwined with my own personal experience and, you know, all of the, the confluence of circumstances that have conspired to put me in whatever moment I was in at whatever time I was writing each thing that we've done. Um, so while they might broadly be about, you know, fairly um, out there or um, strange topics, uh, to me, the, the, like all of my writing has always been um, uh, very personal. Um, whether or not anybody actually gleans that, you know, is is uh, not up to me. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's interesting though that you can it, it you can write songs or have themes for your band or whatever about about like like this, like you know these these off the wall. Well, depending on your perspective, off the wall. Um, you know, ideas or, you know, whatever, just out there shit. But you can only, I feel like in heavy metal is the only genre of music that that can be done in and still have an audience, you know, and not not be shut out immediately. Like you can't, like, I can't imagine, uh, I don't know, other, 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 less extreme genres doing you know the only other ones i can name are like similarly extreme so like like the industrial music scene that you know was forged by you know the the throbbing gristles right and yeah oils and like chris and cozies and psychic tvs of the world like um, and that's just to name a few, right. like they were all deeply exploring occultism and some of them just like, like diverged into straight, like acid house music and like club dance music. But like their scenes were, um, I would say respectively, um, when looking at them, like next to metal and underground punk scenes, um, were, were similarly strident in their refusal to give a shit about what anybody else thought about their work or, what uh, ideas they were exploring, you know? And I think that that's kind of a common thread between all of these like, like stridently underground sort of art forms is that um, there's less of a queasiness to explore um, that, which would be, you know, inherently taboo to 
uh, I guess, polite or uh, um, uh, normal society. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's. I, I, I've always appreciated the um, open-mindedness of underground um, music. I guess to put it vaguely, but um, so, so f- personally, um, how much did? I mean, I know this is a, this is a big question, but how much did um, becoming a parent change change your life? Oh, like like in every possible way, like and yeah, like it's it's a radical transformation. I've I've described it to some friends as like one of the most psychedelic experiences I've ever had that didn't involve actual <laughs> psychedelic substances. Yeah. Um. So so like one thing that I've I've kind of noted is that there's this extreme sense of time dilation that comes with it that I've only ever experienced like, like around, around births or deaths um, experienced in one's lives. Um, But like that um, just that moment of holding my daughter in in my arms for the first time and like watching her take her first breath, um, you know, um, that's something that even though it's coming up on three years ago and like the little baby that was in my arms is like, like, basically unrecognizable from the little girl running around my house today. Um, like it, it seems as though it could have been yesterday. Um, it, like I can with vivid clarity recall, you know, it being like two in the morning and I'm like, you know, putzing around on a computer game or something. And my wife's like, uh, Hey, we need to go to the hospital. It's, uh, it's like I am in labor. Um, and, um, like that, that almost feels as though it was yesterday to me, but that was, that was, um, you know, coming up on, on three years ago. Um, so like, that's what I mean by like the time dilation is that it also seems so long ago. Like I can look at pictures of our daughter from, you know, when she was maybe five, six months old and, you know, um, it's hard to even fathom that it's the same person as this little, um, you know, (laughs) feral, adorable child running around our house and like, like, you know, talking and having conversations with us now, you know, like they're at the same time that it, it there's like this immediacy of, of your experience and what you can recall with it. There's also this extraordinary um, sort of expansion of your experience of time that makes things seem longer. And I know, I, I think everybody, uh, parent or not, has kind of experienced uh, some time dilation in, you know, the broader apocalypse that has been uh, this year and, and onward. Um, you know, yeah. like, like you can't count, count months and dog years during a, during a global pandemic because <laughs> May, when we released the record could have been fucking decades ago for all I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like that's, that's the whole becoming a parent thing has fundamentally transformed like every way of how I look at life, how I experience life and how I think about my actions, how I think about my actions in context to, um, their ramifications or reverberations into, um, you know, other facets of others' lives, um, it's definitely radically altered um, virtually everything of, of how I experience life. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's that's way more, way, way, way more, uh, way, shit, how do I say this correctly? This is my problem. I was, I'm trying to say that you said that way better than I could ever express it. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that's, those are the words that I was trying to use in, in a better way, but I can't do it. Um, the, yeah, the, so you, you've mentioned that your daughter's about to be, Three, so you're like just now getting into like the mind blow to me the the mind blowing part. Like I remember, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember that like when you just start having 
kind of conversations with your kids. And, and then eventually like now I'm like, why don't you just, why do you argue with me about everything? You know, like, (laughs) like it's so quickly, this feels like yesterday, you know, like you're saying like that you were like, Oh my gosh, I I can't wait till she'll say all like a complete sentence to me. And then it turns into, why don't they shut up? What are you (laughs) in a good way? You know, but yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like it's, it's definitely been a wild, wild experience and journey and like talking to my friends and like family members that have older kids or have gone through raising kids like that seems to be a pretty common refrain. Yeah. And the, all right, so the funny thing that a friend of mine had often discussed um, when we were, when our kids were younger and we still had a few friends who either didn't have kids yet or just had planned not to and still have those friends, right? They don't, don't have kids. And we used to say, and it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty it's not very nice of us, but we used to be like, what the what do you what do you does their life seems pointless if they don't have this this little kid, you know? And I know that's a horrible that's a horrible stance to make, but when you I don't know, like you, there's something about becoming a parent, and like it seems like it's so I don't know, it just makes everything it's, else it's seem unimportant. Yeah, it's it's totally transformational, and I and I guess like. Um, like I, so I, for a long time thought I I was a, um, never going to have kids type of person. And that only shifted with me in the last five years or so, um, that perspective, but like, um, you know, like I remember, you know, when my, my now wife and I were, were younger and we'd have talked to older friends who would like tell us that, Oh, you don't know, you're not a parent, like type of thing. I remember, you know, being kind of like offended. um, (laughs) Being like, like, uh, excuse me, yeah, uh, yeah. the fucking temerity to presume that I like, I don't know, um, or can't know what this experience is like is like, on the one level, yes, it is insulting. And on the other level, it is something that like, can only be experienced. Um, but I think, obviously, like, and this is also like, there's, there's the one thing that I think is important to address is like, there's, there's a choice not to have kids. And then there's like, there's other factors that yeah, of course. Right. one's ability to, yeah, and like, yeah. and I don't mean to ever, ever diminish anybody else's experience. If, if, uh, you know, if, if it's, if it's something that they want to do and like are prevented to, to, from doing in any capacity, uh, whether it's, um, draconic arcane, uh, adoption laws, or um, just, you know, biological function issues or just anything that would preclude them from, from getting to pursue that. Um, you know, I, I want to make it abundantly clear that I don't feel that they're like, so that, like, I guess, like, the way that it can come off when a parent says that you don't know because you're not a parent is that it's like this arrogance that like, oh, you don't, you will never get to experience this. And that can yeah, be, yeah. you know, deeply insulting um, if, if it's something that you really want and can't. Yeah. And I, I'm actually very so. glad. I'm very glad you're saying that because that I should have put that in there for my, oh, for I myself. Know, I, so I, I, did yeah, yeah. Take it. I didn't <laughs> think it is that was what you meant, but like, I also understand that like there are certain um, experiences that are basically initiatory that, um, that you can talk about um, and try to articulate and put into words uh, ad nauseum, but um, are seldom going to be things that are ever going to be more than just mere grasps of pro- poetry um, compared to the lived experience of the, of those things, you know. Sure. Um, and and so it's it's not wrong, but it's also like I would want that disclaimer, you know, because 
like there are many other um, staggeringly beautiful experiences um, that people that either don't want uh, by choice or cannot um, uh, have that experience that can still, um, you know, be part of the, the tapestry of beautiful um, lived experience that, that this world offers us. Well said. You are such a better speaker than me. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm a bit of a windbag. It's all right. You're, you're, could, uh, you're, you're very good at it, and you, you make you make <laughs> very good points. And uh, and, I'm, and again, I'm glad you said that because I, I've I've uh, I've seen those conversations go the wrong way where somebody is you know takes it takes it yeah. negatively, and it's and or you know you know takes as you were saying, and it's that's never the intention, but it, it, it's. Yeah. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll share I'll share a joke with you that that like my my spouse and I have um, that's kind of like poking fun at that notion of the like I'm a mom I know it's the best thing like we were driving on the highway one time and we saw this like this like it was an obvious like like minivan full of kids with a mom at the helm with forgive me for stereotyping the standard Karen haircut yeah. <laughs> um, since Karen Karen have become you know a topic de rigueur in 2020. Um, like this woman with like a standard, ter- like, like Karen haircut cuts across three turn lanes. Like she was in the lane to turn left, um, the opposite direction across, um, a, a, like across one side of the highway and then just turned completely opposite that cutting us off by inches, um, without like evidently giving a flying fuck, um, <laughs> when she did so. Um, and like, and like my wife was just going, she's just like, Jesus, what is your problem? And like, I immediately just like chimed in with a quote, I'm a mom. I know it's best. <laughs> and like, <laughs> this was before we'd had kids. And we just like saw this stereotype of somebody just being like, I'm a mom. Boom. I'm just going. Good luck. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, hope, hope, hope you don't have any accidents because I'm going to where I'm going. I know it's best. Like, that's a flip side of that perspective, and it can be humorous. It's funny, and it's true. It's, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Oh, man, the whole the, – the, the, uh, the, the hypocrisy of some of the stuff and the, um, the contradiction con- – contradicting statements, uh, the, way we, the way we act, the way we want people to act. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all in there with – this shit and i i'm not articulating this at all but but it <laughs> no I, I think i kind of kind of feel you it's just like like we can feel really strongly about something one way and then like totally contradict that in our action you know oh that's me that's yeah, that's me all the time yeah that's yeah. <laughs> yeah and then i'll i'll say that i'll say something the, the complete opposite 10 minutes later watch i'll do that when i'm when i'm done in here i'll go out there and do something ridiculous but uh, <laughs> but all right, let's let's get back on track here with the band a little bit because um, you guys, like I said, put this album out, but you weren't really able to do anything with it, being that it came out in May. So, what? How did how did uh, this pandemic and everything derail in the company of serpents? I guess like so for me, it was more on a personal level than any like expectation of actually getting out and playing. Like, yeah, I had you know strong desire to go out and tour and we were ostensibly supposed to be touring through, you know, September and August. Um, we were supposed to have our first East coast tour. Um, you know, um, there were, there were things that I was definitely looking forward to, but, uh, as they say, the best laid plans of mice and men, uh, you know, don't always go as one wishes during a fucking apocalypse. So, (laughs) um, you know, like, like, uh, things don't always go as planned. Um, I think what really like hit me the hardest was um, 
and this wasn't until like August, uh, well after our record had come out. Um, we performed our first live stream show, which you can find, um, Colt Nation hosted it, um, and it's up on their YouTube, but, um, it's also, we shared it on our Facebook page. Um, and, um, yeah, like I think it's pinned there. It might not be anymore, but anyways, um, we did our first like full live performance of this material, most of which had not been performed live. Um, and we had had, um, a visual artist uh, that we've become acquainted with um, who goes by the name of Moth Powder Light Show, um, who does like great live psychedelic visuals um, and kind of cues them up like as you're going, like he doesn't pre-produce them to a, to a quick track or something like he, he does it live to your performance. Um, and uh, like we had that going, all these great psychedelic visuals, probably like the, like the most, fully realized vision of what this band could be from a live performance perspective, which is a very important thing to me, like being able to carry off the level of catharsis that I'm aiming for in our writing in a live Avenue is, um, really, really, uh, germane to me. Um, but there's this weird split where like, like we're performing to an audience of industry techs and camera operators and people with booms and, you know, various like sound guys um, and different texts that were helping us pull this live stream off and like no actual audience. And I never realized really until that moment, just like, because basically I get up and perform all out regardless of how many people are in the audience and regardless of, you know, who's there. Like we've played shows on tour where like, you know, all the local bands cancel 11th hour and we end up playing to like the bartender, the one other band that like joined last minute and like maybe three people that did remember you had a show there. And like, (laughs) I'm still going to put on the same like intensity of performance for that as I am, you know, um, some of the the more packed house gigs we've had the fortune of playing. Um, But like, for me, that was the first time that like I was playing, like there wasn't any audience, like, like, um, um, you know, it it was, it was exclusively all these industry techs who were total pros. I might add, uh, at the armory in Denver is the name of the studio that did it. Highly recommended if you're a Denver musician listening to this and need a venue. Um, but, um, after, like before the show, like right before we got started, um, our bass player slash, um, lap steel guitar player, Ben, um, like jokingly just said, like, like, all right, guys, let's make it a good one. Might be the last. And I was like, fucking don't say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, please don't take that from me. Because, like, I don't think it really sunk into me until that moment that I'd, I'd, I'd like, kind of lost this sense of community and to another extent, a sense, a sense of identity, you know. Um, basically, like, most of my career choices that I've chosen are, are taken throughout um, my life in adulthood were basically built around the notion that I didn't really care what they were. They just needed to be something that afforded me enough time and, and money to be able to sustain my creative visions um, without being beholden to anybody else. And so really even like my work identity, which is not intrinsically tied to my creative identity was also built around my creative and artistic identity. And it kind of felt as though like I had had that um, taken from me. And I know a lot of artists are feeling this way still, um, you know, it's like, like we, we, we work really hard on trying to articulate, um, you know, this, this purity of artistic vision and this 
something that that is truly meaningful and from our hearts and then you know not be able to um you know get it out there in one of the most fundamental and primal ways that we usually would be able to do so so yeah the the loss of live music and touring is definitely something that's hit me hard um but like i think that like we're evolving good creative new strategies you know as um as as we go through this to kind of make sure that there's still a space for underground music the one thing i would just say that that is still kind of bothering me is um and i've made multiple kind of ranty posts posts about this on our social media and uh i've noted the irony of having to use those platforms to do so but like 2020 kind of seems like there's this voracious corporate monoculture that's getting shoved down our necks like like swallow up all the fucking DIY venues, swallow up all the independent clubs, swallow up all the independent record stores, swallow up any place that would give voice to, you know, underground and DIY artists, all of these great um, um, avenues to performance that, um, you know, have this, this focus on inclusivity and letting uh, everyone share their art, regardless of, you know, how practiced or, um, or not, they might be, um, you know, um, a lot of them are getting swallowed up by this voracious hunger of just like fucking corporate greed. Like, like Jeff Bezos wants you to only be able to buy shit through Amazon. And yeah, like, you know, like I, I don't want to only be able to have people to get our records from these corporate giants. I like, I like, um, I grew up with the formative experience of going to independent record stores and like talking to clerks that knew their shit and being like, okay, I like this. What else would I like? Like hit me to something new. Um, that was a formative experience for me. And so like, obviously like record stores have been, you know, hit been hit hard for a lot longer than the pandemic uh, right. uh, situation. But like, I would really just urge everybody to take a good look at the local venues and businesses, whether they're bookstores or, DIY performance spaces or record stores or anything that does anything whatsoever to support underground um, and basically sub mainstream art, um, take a good look at them and try to support them in whatever capacity you have the ability to, because um, this, this fucking um, yeah, voracious, like all consuming hunger of corporate greed wants them to not exist anymore. And that means that 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 could really stifle creativity is what I fear, because if they're like if if, you know, a vaccine comes out and we get past covid and things start to look a little bit like the uh, the before times, if you will, um, then and if there are no more of these like little like hundred capacity bars and DIY spaces uh, that host um you know, bands and artists of, of, of all backgrounds and, um, you know, styles, like they're, where are we going to have, um, voices for underground culture when that all swallows up and the only things left are like, you know, 12 to 2000 cap ballrooms and stadiums for the already established, you know, aristocracy of fucking <laughs> the entertainment industry, you know, like, like, I worry that that will stifle the underground. And so I just encourage anybody listening to this to take a look at, at like what places have made your underground scene important and have a vibrant voice and formed some sense of community and find a way to support them, whether it's monetarily or otherwise, because there's other ways you can support folks and not 
that's the other thing I want to be clear about is I understand this is a fucking pandemic. I'm not asking people to throw away their money on more records, not even my own, <laughs> um, but like, like there are other ways that you can support a lot of these businesses and artists, um, you know, whether it's sharing their work or just helping them uh, by spreading word of mouth when you find something cool, you know, um, the underground community is definitely in a prone position right now. And uh, I, I feel strongly that, that um, we as members of the, this community um, should be doing something to protect it if we can. Yeah, that's you mentioned well, a lot of great points there. And I can tell you, if for, for a personal example, uh, here and where I'm at in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the, the, the venue that I've been going to, and this is well before I even lived here, since I was probably 16 years old, you know, so at least for over 20 years, I've been going to the Chameleon Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which since coronavirus has now closed down, you know, and it's it's just gone. And uh, I'm told they're trying to reopen somewhere, but, you know, I don't know. They were selling pieces of their stage online, you know, so I spent money for a piece of their stage because whatever, they're going to try to reopen somewhere else. So, you know, good luck to them. I hope they can do it. But yeah, shit like that, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's devastating. Yeah, that's, that's, that's been a, a cornerstone here for at least 30 years, probably more. And it's just gone. So, you know, so, so the way that I've articulated this a few times, and I've heard other people put it similarly, but, um, for, for those of us in the underground, like metal community and under, underground communities everywhere, um, like seeing an institution like that, um, you know, go away is kind of like seeing your church get bulldozed, you know, like, yeah. um, like they're like, I'm not, you know, for all of my talk of esoteric religion and faith, you know, you, you might have surmised that I'm not actively uh, a very church going sort. So <laughs> my, my temple you know, in different times, uh, three to four nights a week would be going out to shows and, you know, seeing that global community of underground musicians and friends who I'd maybe only see, you know, once a, a year, twice a year, or maybe even once every three, four years, if they were, you know, coming from Europe or wherever, um, you know, like that, um, there's a real strong sense of like, the sacredness of some of these places for the people involved in these communities. And it is like, a, like an, a, a direct affront to, um, you know, something we, we really love dearly and cherish. Yeah, absolutely. But w with, uh, with the way, um, you're talking about the, uh, shit, the, just the private, the, the smaller, the little guy, you, you've, you mentioned before that you've been self-releasing, uh, in the company of serpents, music from the beginning in that in some ways has that kind of set you up better for this situation uh yes and no you know like like i said i've i've uh i've learned about you know kind of like through trial and error how uh to operate as a small business that's basically self-run i know it's not it's not self-run like i have help and yeah and uh my legal counsel would want me to mention that i am just a <laughs> member of our llc um not the, yeah, anyways, I'm joking. Right. Um, but yeah, like, um, yeah, it's helpful in some regards. And like when I was 25, 26, being fully DIY and being able to make it to the post office every day to ship orders um, made more sense. But now it's like, you know, between paternity, um, job, um, you know, my duties as a spouse and family member, et cetera. Like, you know, the reality is like doing DIY, uh, like, it's like I wait until I accumulate, you know, 30 orders 
and then bang them out like every week and a half, two weeks. And so that's, that's not as, I would like to be operating on a higher level than that in just deference to our fans and, and in thanks to them wanting to support, um, you know, what is, you know, a, basically something that's been my, my passion for the last decade. Um, you know, I would, I would like to see us be able to be a more well-oiled machine and be able to get merch orders out like the instant that they're processed. But, um, the reality of my world is that, you know, that, that doesn't always happen. Um, but, um, you know, like, like it, yes, it has set us up to some degree to, to be independent and not be beholden to, you know, having to hop on a tour, um, you know, with somebody that maybe we're not seeing eye to eye with or, or artistically might not be a good fit. Um, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not having to make those choices cause I'm not getting offered them. <laughs> like, like nobody's banging <laughs> down our door with like, you know, the, the, the huge stadium tours and shit and like, um, and so, so it, it has its own strengths and, and it has its own drawbacks. I would mention that we are in talks with, uh, uh, Hammerheart and Petrichor records, uh, to, uh, release our stuff, um, globally here. So, um, this is something that I think is important to mention with we really messed up taxes coming down the line for any UK, uh, fans. Um, I just caught wind that there's going to be a new VAT tax to send anything to the UK that's going to make me require and prepay taxes on any merch I send to the UK um, to the tune of like tw- twice what I'm already paying in exorbitant shipping. So I think the time is right uh, for us to, you know, um, get into a more professional arrangement with, with a label that can help us get physical distribution. Because while I love the DIY, the fully DIY aspects of it, um, like the, the reality is, is if, if you've bought a record from us, it's probably come mail order directly from me. Or um, if you've bought it in a record store, you've either ha- had to be in Denver or chance, by chance have stopped by a record store. We've, we've dropped copies off on tour um, uh, or like you've just wandered into a store where somebody got sick of our shit and sold it. <laughs> so like, yeah. like, like uh, I do want um, that um, that ability to have that, that distribution. And like I said, like it was a formative experience for me to like go into a record store and like pick up records and decide to buy something, you know, with like money I'd saved up for weeks as a kid, um, not having heard a single track on it. Um, but just because like it was in a certain section and like the aesthetics or packaging were so gnarly that like, I couldn't help but pick it up. Like, I'm a huge packaging nerd. I don't know if you've seen the physical packages that we've done for all of our releases, but no, not all of them. like I always do a special, I, I do a special deluxe edition for almost all of them that involves like a, uh, a hand done block print that I personally uh, make and print off. Um, but like, that's the type of shit that I love seeing. And I want to get that stuff into record stores. And right now, unless like, you're in Denver or Colorado Springs, like you're not finding in the company serpents records in front of you, but hopefully that will change here in the next couple of months. As I mentioned, uh, yeah, it should be, should be, um, hitting shelves, uh, via Hammerheart Petrichor here. Um, if all it goes according to plan here in the next few months. Well, that's very cool. That's, that's, that's good news. Um, yeah. And well, to go on what you're saying about the, the packaging, just a little personal note. I'm, I'm a, I'm a printing guy. That's all I've done for like my whole life. So, 
so you know operate so whenever i see like uh like just real nice packaging with especially like die cutting and bossing foil stamping i think that shit's that, that I, I i love it i'll keep just pulling a record off my shelf for years just to look at it <laughs> just just oh, to, just to appreciate so, so it. i could totally have a nerd out conversation with you um like so this this record this luck is the first one that we did gatefold and I've always loved using spot gloss yeah, on top yeah. of um, whatever stock you're using to create like that extra shimmer. Um, but yeah, the record before Ain't So Far, if you get the LP version, it's got a white on white, um, white matte stock with spot gloss design printed on it with a die cut of our cross that overlays, like our cross insignia that overlays exactly with a artist's depiction of the Kabbalistic Tree of Light. And the cross maps to such a degree that it like calls out um, the the different sefirot uh, uh, or sefirot is how I hear most people pronounce it um, like on the tree by virtue of the die cut that's basically containing the cover within a cover. So I can definitely go wow. on that, uh, print on printing nerddom. That's that's awesome. Did you ever? Did you ever? Um, it's, they're mainly they're mainly focused on hardcore, but there's this French label called Knives Out. That this guy does. Yeah. Did you ever see his stuff? Some of it. I can't say I've seen everything. Oh, he just. It, it's it's it's. I mean, it's mostly just die cutting, but it's but it's but everything I've seen so far has been pretty impressive. And yeah, that it sounds I like love, that like, sounds die, like that. Die cutting stuff is killer. Like I've 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 used I've I've dismantled like at least two copies of our previous record just so that I had a good stencil of our cross to like throw up on things and <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like. I, I play with that stuff a lot. Die cut is is always an aesthetic that I really love. You mentioned gold foil. Um, I love that. And then like letterpress is, so we had an acquaintance that um, does basically like letterpress printing of like high fashion, like purses mm-hmm. and like wallets and belts and stuff. But like um, she did a run of patches for us for a design that was just letterpress printed on black leather. Um, so it looked like basically embossed leather black on black patches yeah. so like yeah i i can go nuts for for all of these little packaging gimmicks because i find them cool as hell that's awesome well you know it's just, like i said I, that's what i well now i'm just like a customer service guy but that's what i i did i was you know i'd operate the presses uh for these things and and i i'd, I'd be doing like fucking soap boxes for like unilever or something you know and hell yeah and, but like <laughs> but it's but I don't know. Like you, it'd be working on these things for these big corporations, and it just and like I just always think about the way that they could be used on album covers. So when I see things on records, I, I get real stoked. And you know, like the, the way yeah. you, the, the intricate things you're talking about doing for you, for for you guys' record, that's that's awesome. I gotta get my hands on some of those. Well, like I mean, like like even when you're doing it, like I'm sure when you're doing it at scale for like some like like you know milk toast or tepid like corporate like churned out whatever garbage like but you see like the level of depth that can go into the packaging yeah that's what i mean i'm I'm sure it it gets like the creative wheels or gears turning just like fuck what if we did this on a record what if we did this on a label you know yeah yeah that's it's also and i've been in other other personal bits like seeing a389 records dom and uh oh yeah and totally. he's, they've done some great shit yeah and he's he got he got there's a little arrow where he got a little experimental with uh, i think there was a noisome record that had like a die cut cover with like a thread running through it there was like a guy like, t- t- like you know 
um, stitching up his wrists. And there was an Ilsa one with like a pop-up in the gatefold, you know, just like real, like, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, that that's, that's awesome. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, they did, um, I think they did the split with, um, um, Fister and Primitive Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, yeah, that was one of my first like introductions to that label and everything I've seen from them since I've always been like, yep, into it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, Hey, um, we've already gone on for about an hour. Uh, but one, one last thing I wanted to, t- to talk to you about, uh, or ask you about at least is, uh, and you know, cause I've had some of the other guys on, on the podcast before I've been, Ben from chemist, uh, Ethan from primitive man. Um, and you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the, the community, uh, and how you realized you missed that. What what makes the Denver heavy metal scene so, I don't know, so good, I guess? Well, so I, I would say just for the two individuals you just mentioned, uh, Ethan from Primitive Man and Ben from Chemis, um, they they both appeared on a track on our new record, um, Scales of Mont, on yeah. this like dirgy, like almost like funeral-ass, like death doom part that I wrote with them in mind. Um, by virtue of, you know, my experiences, like, um, seeing their shows, playing shows with them, going to shows with them for, you know, better part of decades. Um, but like Denver has always been, so it's, it's hard to, to, I'll try and put this succinctly and not ramble on too much longer because <laughs> I got to get going too. And as yeah. you said, we've already gone on for yeah. an hour, but, uh, um, basically like, so Ethan in particular, one person you just mentioned has been absolutely pivotal for, helping the city forge a really strong heavy metal underground for the longest time. Um, Denver was considered quote unquote flyover territory. And when bands would route a tour, you know, especially underground metal bands that can only take, you know, two, three weeks off of work, you'd route the West coast or the East coast. And then a few days off to drive the intervening territory and then start it up again on whatever coast you hadn't just hit. Um, um, because of that, Denver was kind of in an, on an Island and, I remember like, um, you know, Ethan talking about having to like, like, you know, bag bands that he loves to come through Denver. And by virtue of him having been booking shows in like DIY venues and different like clubs around town forever, for as long as I've been involved in the scene and then some, um, he's, uh, he's been really pivotal about, you know, helping us get heavy bands to, to come through here you know, maybe if it's their only show um, in between the East and West coasts and helping us to, to start establishing a, um, like, like a, a really vibrant scene here. But part of an outgrowth of that is that like, he's, he's the sort of person that has given many bands their very first shows. Um, I, it wasn't our very first show that we played, but like our second and third shows pretty much were, were things that we did at a venue he, he used to run called Blastomat. Um, but like, he's been one of those, really great exemplars of like how to foster a cool fucking inclusive community that allows all artists, um, some semblance of voice. Um, you know, like he's booked shows with, with, for me, what I'd consider to be fairly major underground bands, but I mean, they're major to anybody who's clued into the, the underground scene, but I've seen him book, you know, bands first and second shows opening for, for, you know, bands that I, I hold in, in really high esteem. Um, so he's a great example of that. Um, but part of this whole, like, sort of operating in a bubble thing is that a lot of the musicians here have really forged our own identities. And nobody's really trying to ape 
anybody else. And sure, of course, there are bands that, you know, are trying to sound like other bands and things like that. But by and large, like there's kind of a core community of, of musicians, at least within the heavy music community that are just trying to do their own thing. And there's not this sort of backbiting um, competitiveness that my friends from other communities and scenes have kind of made me aware of, you know, like, Oh, here's stories of like, you know, you think you're friends with cer- with a certain band and then you get a, an opening slot for some cool touring act. And they're like, fuck that band. This should have been us. <laughs> right, you know? right. Like, like you get that bullshit sort of like, like should have been me, man. Like, like sort of uh, mentality in a lot of places. And I don't really just see a whole lot of that here. Um, I generally see people, you know, being supportive of each other. Um, and going out to each other's shows, like that's the, the, that's another thing about a loss of community, man, is like, I used to see like, like basically like most of my like friends group and acquaintances were just, you know, a fairly small group of people in the grand scheme of things that I'd regularly see at shows, you know, once, twice a week, um, or at least once a month, um, you know, over years and years ago in the shows and we've all played in each other's bands or we've all played shows with each other's bands. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of community here um, that I think might come, and I'm just venturing a guess here, from that sort of lack of competitiveness because we are kind of developing our own thing. And so, like, there's not that backbiting thing, and people are okay to let people kind of do their own thing and still like, have diverse shows. Like, in a lot of cities, like, you know, you'll see, like, we'd get booked on a Doom show with four other, like, Doom bands, and, like, you know, I wouldn't even really consider us doom anymore. Um, but like that can be fatiguing as an audience member to be more or less the same thing over and over again. And like you mentioned, you're into the hardcore scene. I'm sure you've seen no shortage of like 10 band bills where every single one of them has a front band. It's like, all right, let's fire it up. (laughs) Right. Like like by the fifth time you've been commanded to a fucking circle pit. It's the last, you get five last chance, five last chances to dance. You know, that's the, that's the phrase I like. Yeah. 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 Yeah, dude. Like, like, so, so in Denver, like we seldom get shows like that where it's just one band after another of the same shit or the same niche genre. Um, like there's cooler, um, I guess, um, like just, I, 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 there's a broader perspective of, of just what you're going to hear sonically on most bills. And, you know, again, the before times when shows were happening and by and large, like that wasn't a problem for any of the fans either, you know, that you could see, a band like you know blood incantation on a bill with you know emma Emma ruth rundle or um midwife um you know like something that sonically is is you know not like space portal death metal like and still be like way down about both uh acts is is something that i think is really cool about denver but yeah um you know it's uh we generally are, are supportive of each other and like, yeah, like Ethan's been in uh, a million great bands. Our drummer JP is in uh, another band with him called Vermin Womb um, and also played with him for ages in a band called Clinging to the Trees of a Forest Fire, both of which are more on the, like the grind end of the spectrum. But like, um, yeah, people play lots of shit here. They, they're not getting stuck on, on, um, rote, um, regurgitations of like whatever like to brand uh genre riffs you're supposed to be playing um and i think that's fostered some diversity and at the same time like there's a really great sense of community that is not about uh stabbing each other in the back uh 
like it's more about mutual flourishment. I'm happy when, when I see my, my buddies get killer opportunities um, by virtue of their success and deft hand at their artistry. Well, that's, that's, that's plenty of, plenty of reason enough to be, uh, to, to be so proud of being from that area. And, and, and I mean, it really does speak to why you all have been so successful in your own way. And I, I hope Grant that you guys get to get back to it as soon as possible because uh, it's we're all benefiting from it. <laughs> you know, we're not all there, yeah, but we're all safe, man. We yeah. want to be out there. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time to talk. Thank you for doing what you do and putting out the the records that you do. I really do. I, I've been I've been listening for about ten years, like you said. So, so uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us on and thank you for giving a voice to underground musicians um you know it's not lost on us that that what you do is something that that um helps us you know kind of convey our message to a broader audience um you know that isn't in in our little bubble of just here in denver so um yeah thank you for for having me on and uh you know giving me a little a little bit of a megaphone uh here to 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 wax uh uh insanely about esoteric gobbledygook uh, oh no it's and, great uh, and politics. <laughs> no i love it thanks man and anytime by the way right on all right buddy i'll all talk right. well, th- thanks for having me um have a lovely uh holiday season and uh yeah be well you as well all right bye. have fun with those have fun have fun with those kiddos <laughs> oh i will i will all right you too all man right. see ya all right man later
So there you have it. That was my conversation with the eloquent and articulate Grant Netzorg of In the Company of Serpents. I am genuinely impressed by people who can speak like that. Uh, I'm a bumbling idiot most of the time, if not always. So when uh, when I'm speaking to other people who are able to put sentences together that quickly and uh, that intelligently, it's a little intimidating. But I made it through. Hopefully you enjoyed listening as much as I did. Um, very glad to have him. And I'm thinking about it, maybe maybe his last name is Netsorge. You know, guys, Netsorge? That's not as good as Net, Nets, Netzorg. I forget what I was originally saying at this point. I'm a little fixated here. I admit it. I'm a little fixated on that last name. But if it's a silent E, it's not a silent E. There's not a K in front of it. Which a K, have I ever gone on this thing about K being the most ridiculous uh, letter in the in the alphabet? It's a word, Mooch. We have no use for K. There's nothing that's, that K can do that C can't. Uh, a lot of times it's silent. You know, anyway, okay, I, I'm going to get way off track. Thank you to Grant for coming on the podcast and having that conversation with me. I greatly appreciate it. I personally just made sure to go to their Bandcamp page and buy their latest record, Lux, which it says they're down to like uh, 12 copies left. So if you if you think you might like it, you better get on it and, and buy that shit. Uh, I'm, I'm real into what he's talking about with the packaging and making shit look unique and special because uh, as someone like myself who loves to buy records... Um, I really love when there's a little extra effort put into it and uh, makes, it, makes, it, makes it a little snazzy, a little sparkly, a little something that catches your eye and makes for a unique uh, packaging and uh, vinyl buying experience. I don't know why I've turned to this voice, but it'll have to do for this part of the podcast. Anyway, uh, bear of bad news here, LeBron James did not get that double-double. He got six rebounds and like 29 points, which is great and all. But uh, we really could have used those four extra rebounds to get those $38. But, you know, I guess that's what happens. Now we got to rely on the uh, the Golden State Warriors to beat the New York Knicks and cover the four-point spread, which they should be able to do. But, you know, all right, you, you know, I know, we all know. Okay, right, we're all on the same page. Anyway, I want to say uh, one more time, as I need to put in here, I need to put this into every episode, that uh, there is a Patreon page for Getting It Out Podcast. And on that Patreon page, you can sign up for the $1 tier, the $2 tier, or the $3 tier. $1 tier gets you a sticker and a pin. I'll send that to you immediately. Uh, $2 tier, you get the same thing, but you also get access to Getting It Out Radio. I'm going to put out an episode for that immediately, as soon as I can. Tier number three, that gets you automatic entry into any contest I will be running, which I am running one as you're hearing this, if you're hearing this on Friday. On Friday, uh, January 22nd, I will be running a uh, giveaway contest for 24 hours. Maybe if you just see this on the, on the Instagram, you can just repost. You gotta, you're going to have to like it, and you're going to have to follow the page and repost. Well, you don't have to repost. Just like, repost. I don't know, tag two people, whatever. You have to go to the Instagram and figure that out. Um, and uh, last time, I, a guy in Atlanta or Georgia, I should say, one, I sent him, uh, I could tell you, I'll tell you the contents of it. There was a, there was one LP, two seven inches, two CDs, a t-shirt, and a handful of stickers. And that's that's what you can expect from these getaway packages. So if, you, if you're interested, uh, look for that tomorrow, today, or 
you could just sign up for the $3 tier of Getting It Out Podcast Patreon, and you'll automatically be entered for that. You'll also have access to the full episode archives and uh, Getting It Out Radio. And uh, I forget what else. You'll have to go to the Patreon page and check it out. Patreon.com slash Getting It Out Podcast. I appreciate your time, even if you don't. Just because you listen to me mumble my way through that, I appreciate it. Um, But yeah, that's going to be it for this one. I'm going to end this one with Sonic Prayer from Earthless. It's a it's a piece of their live in the Mojave Desert uh, concert series that's, that's coming out on the 23rd, so Saturday. Um, you can check that out online. Uh, it, it also includes Nebula, Spirit Mother, Mountain Tamer, and Stoner. It's a I guess it's a live stream concert film series, and it's pretty cool. Uh, the concept's pretty cool. Um, this is like I said, an excerpt from that. And it's uh, two minutes. Uh, they're 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 great. Uh, you know, instrumental psychedelic uh, doom stoner or whatever you want to call it, Ben. Uh, rock and roll. It's just fucking rock and roll. Listen to Earthless. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you. Bye bye. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.